Notre Dame's matchup against the Pitt Panthers might not have all the juicy storylines that we thought it would have going into the season, but there's still plenty at stake for the Irish as they look to finish the season strong coming off the bye week. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? Welcome into Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 25th, and thanks as always for making this your first listen each and every day. I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I graduated from Notre Dame, and I'm a producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Today, we're going to talk about Notre Dame's upcoming game against the Pittsburgh Panthers. And even though Pitt is only 2-5 and five on the year, there are a lot of fun storylines in this one. Uh, for the fans, at least, I think we as the fans are probably more focused on the stuff off the field than the players who will actually be competing in the game. But I'll get into those storylines at the top, then I'll go over my scouting report of Pitt, and then we'll finish things off with my keys to the game and, of course, some predictions. But here's what you need to know. The kickoff is set uh, for 3.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC with everyone's favorite broadcast crew, Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett on the call. And right now, the Irish are favored by 20.5 on Fandle, and the total is 44.5. I think that number has been going down as the week's gone by. So Vegas is projecting Notre Dame to win by a final score close to 33-12, to which seems pretty high, especially considering the fact that 10 out of the past 13 games between Notre Dame and Pitt have resulted in uh, a one-possession game, but that's just how Vegas sees it right now. Pittsburgh has been truly awful for most of this season, and Notre Dame is coming off a much-needed bye week. Last year, Notre Dame was able to beat BYU 28-20 in their game uh, following the bye, and this is the 72nd time Notre Dame and Pitt have faced each other. The Irish lead the all-time series 49-21-1, to and so Let's look at what's at stake for Notre Dame because they're entering the home stretch of the regular season and they have an opportunity to finish strong here against weaker competition than what they played in the previous four weeks of games. So in theory, the Irish should beat every team left on the schedule, but every opponent they're going to play is going to have a big chip on their shoulder when they face this Notre Dame team and none bigger than Pat Narduzzi's Pitt Panthers. If you're a Notre Dame fan listening to this, which I assume you are, given that this is a daily Notre Dame podcast, I am sure that you have encountered plenty of Notre Dame haters in your life. You know the type. It could be a guy. It could be a girl. And it's not just that they root for Notre Dame to lose in every game they play. It's that they resent the university, its alums, its fans, and most of all, the football program. My favorite part about this guy is for as much as he or she hates Notre Dame, they don't even get the facts right. Like, they're the type who will tell you that Notre Dame is greedy for not joining a conference when that's just been proven wrong time and time again. Notre Dame is actively choosing to accept less money in television revenue to remain an independent than if they were to just join the ACC or the Big Ten or really any of the other power conferences at this point. They'll also say that Notre Dame gets to play an easy schedule every year, and that's part of the reason why they want to stay independent as well, and that they're overrated, which is also false. But it doesn't even matter that they're wrong because if you point it out to them and you make the correct argument, they're so blinded by hate that they're immediately going to forget about it and they're just going to go back to their way of thinking because they want it to be true, even though it isn't. And Pat Narduzzi is that guy. 
He just also happens to be the head coach of a Power 5 football program. And there has not been a single person in the ACC who has been more public or has been more vocal publicly about their disdain for Notre Dame's arrangement with the ACC than Narduzzi. He's been pretty open about it to the press. He's also gone out of his way to badmouth Notre Dame in several other instances, uh, whether it be when he accused Notre Dame of trying to poach Kenny Pickett uh, in the transfer portal, even though Kenny Pickett wasn't even in the transfer portal, or as recently as this week when he suggested that Miles Boykin, the former Notre Dame wide receiver, should have been called for an offensive pass interference penalty on his game-winning touchdown against Pitt way back in 2018. And it's to the point now where, like, if I ever read in a, a, quote, anonymous head coach saying something negative about Notre Dame in any article that anyone puts out, I immediately assume it was Pat Narduzzi. And usually that's a pretty good assumption because there's often context clues that certainly suggest that it was Pat Narduzzi saying those things. But And I honestly respect it at this point because it's not like he says one thing and then does another. Like he says these things, uh, says these negative things about Notre Dame to the press and then just changes his tune whenever he's in front of the camera. No, he is a full-time hater of Notre Dame at all times of the year. So when he recruited Phil Drukovic, out of the transfer portal, the former Notre Dame quarterback who is now a former Boston College quarterback as well. He's also become a pretty significant villain in the eyes of most Notre Dame fans, especially after his Instagram post last year. When those two got together, it felt like a match made in heaven. Unfortunately for our guy, Pat Narduzzi, he had to learn the hard way what most of us have seen for a really long time. Phil Dracovic stinks at quarterback. He's not good. It's the reason why he never started at Notre Dame. It's the reason why he didn't pan out at Boston College. Now he's at Pitt. I'll admit, though, I did not think it was going to be this bad because Phil Dracovic has been god-awful this season, and that's why he was benched uh, for Christian Veo before the Louisville game. Frankly, I was extremely disappointed when I heard that Dracovic was benched before he got the chance uh, to be the quarterback at Notre Dame Stadium because I wanted to see Phil go out there and face this potent Irish defense and have to back up his talk off the field and on Instagram captions with his play on the field. I keep mentioning this Instagram post. If you don't remember, last year, the day that Boston College was going to play Notre Dame, he wrote a 360-word Instagram caption in which he said, among other things, that Notre Dame doesn't live up to its ideals. He accused the fans of supporting cultural appropriation for singing along to shipping up to Boston at the start of the game. And he said that Notre Dame was nothing but a brand name. There were a few Phil Dracovic defenders out there among the Notre Dame fan base, uh, even after the way things had gone with Boston College. I think after that post, all of them went away. They all were like, all right, enough of this, dude. Because Notre Dame responded by beating the shit out of the Eagles to a final score of 44 to nothing while Phil watched from the sidelines in a blizzard. Probably not the best idea for Phil to post something like that, knowing it would definitely make its way to the Notre Dame locker room the day of the game. And he couldn't even go out there and help his team, but we all make choices in life, and Phil's made a few questionable decisions over the past few years ever since he decided to transfer. And I want to make this clear. I have no problem with Phil Dracovic and his decision to transfer from Notre Dame to Boston College at the time. Like, it made sense. He didn't want to sit behind Ian Book for another year, and he had the opportunity to play elsewhere at a Power 5 program a little bit closer to home. I had no issue with that. None at all. It's what he said after the fact. He called Brian Kelly a liar. He criticized the culture of the football program, which is 
just a big no-no, especially when you have friends still on the team. And he just never took responsibility for the fact that he wasn't seeing the fields because Ian Book was simply a better quarterback than he was. It was really that simple. And like I said, there were some Notre Dame fans who were on his side at the time. I remember there were some prominent voices in the Notre Dame media space who were banging their hand on the table, calling for Phil Dracovic to start over Ian Book. What did Ian Book do? He dominated him in that game in 2020. He led the Irish to two undefeated regular seasons, including a win over number one ranked Clemson, and he became the winningest quarterback in school history. Dracovic, meanwhile, has been awful the past two seasons. He finally got the hook after the Panthers lost their fourth straight game with him as the starting quarterback, including an all-time performance in the backyard brawl in which he went 8 of 20 for 81 yards and three interceptions. Not great, Bob. Now Phil is the third-string quarterback, and I'll admit This game does not have the same juice to it as I was hoping it would if Phil had been the starter. But there's still a lot more connections in this game than just Pat Narduzzi and Phil Dracovic. Pitt's starting running back is former Notre Dame running back Sebo Flemisher. Flemisher played for Notre Dame from 2018 through 2021, and he actually racked up 10 total touchdowns for the Irish in the 2019 and 2020 seasons as the backup or even third-string running back. I was pretty surprised when I saw that number, but I guess thinking back, it does make sense because he got he got a lot of the goal line carries. Then there's Shane Simon, the former Notre Dame linebacker. He's actually fourth on the team in tackles for Pitt. He's really made the most out of his opportunity there. Um, he's one of the smarter players on their defense. I'm really happy for him because he was pretty highly recruited coming out of high school, dealt with some injuries, and just couldn't really find his way on the field at Notre Dame. But he actually did have a good game against Clemson uh, against Clemson in 2020 during that regular season game. Um, I think he had four tackles, a couple pass breakups. So he did have that moment in the blue and gold. Happy for him that he's had this opportunity. And then you've got on the Notre Dame side, true freshman quarterback Kenny Minchie, who had been committed to Pitt for months before Tommy Reese and Notre Dame were able to flip him just a month before the early signing period. I I can't tell you how much I would pay to be a fly on the wall for that phone conversation when Kenny Minchie, the high four-star quarterback going to Pitt, who was supposed to replace Kenny Pickett, when he had to call Narduzzi to tell him he was decommitting, especially when everyone in the world knew where Minchie was going to go next, man. I wish I could hear that one because that one was probably pure gold. It's probably a lot like um, Pat Narduzzi when he called up Lincoln Riley after Riley poached uh, wide receiver Jordan Addison out of the transfer portal, even though Addison wasn't even in the transfer portal at the time. Narduzzi is a, is a pretty mean guy, and I'm sure he can get pretty nasty. But Notre Dame also has Max Bulla, uh, who is, I, I think he's technically the Notre Dame linebacker coach. He might be a GA, but he coaches the linebackers. He actually played for Pat Narduzzi um, when he was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State. So make no mistake about it. Pat Narduzzi wants to win this game more than any other game left on the schedule. His hatred for Notre Dame runs that deep. And when you're the coach of a 2-5 and five team heading into November when making a bowl game seems pretty out of reach at this point, what do you have to lose if you're Pitt? And Narduzzi, you know, for as much as I've been kind of ragging on him so far in this Open, he has won or he had won 20 games combined over the past two seasons. And he's one of the smarter defensive minds in college football. So it's not like he's a bad coach. He's just like a mean old curmudgeon, like I was just saying. So I expect Notre Dame to get Pitt's best shot in this one. I really do. But what does Pitt's best shot look like? Did they already show it in their stunning upset win over Louisville? Maybe, but I think the fact that they're able to beat Louisville the week after Louisville ran away from Notre Dame should have every single fan and player and coach affiliated with Notre Dame taking this opponent seriously. So what does Pitt bring to the table? I'll dive into it right after this. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world today, and it's important to be prepared. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace Case. The Jace Case is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. Jace Medical is continually working to expand their medication offerings, and in those recent efforts, they added ivermectin as an option in the Jace case. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand, and it's simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. Go to jacemedical.com and enter code LOCKEDON at checkout for $20 discount on your order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at jasemedical.com. This episode is also brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action because the app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. For my pick this week, I'm taking Oregon minus 6.5 on Saturday. I hate betting against Utah, but I feel like Oregon needs a statement win, and they'll get it on Saturday. So visit Fandle.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. Fandle, an official partner of the NFL. Before we move on, I'd like to remind you to please like the video below and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast. You can help out the show a great deal by rating the show five stars. You could even leave a review, and please subscribe. All right, let's take a look at the pit offense. Uh, Frank Signetti is their offensive coordinator. He is a Yinzer through and through, and he's well-respected in coaching circles, but his offense this year has been abysmal. They are outside of the top 100 nationally in points per drive, yards per game, yards per play, EPA per play, rush yards, and yards per rush. They score 24.6 points per game, which is 88th in the country, but 45 of those points came against Wofford in the season opener, and they are 92nd in pass yards. So, not really lighting up the scoreboard so far this season. Not only that, Notre Dame has a much better defense than any team they've played up to this point. Basically, what I'm telling you is that this offense should not be able to move the ball on Notre Dame at all. I'm not saying they won't score at all, but on paper, Notre Dame should be able to shut down this unit all game. But here's some players to keep an eye out for. As I mentioned, Phil Dracovic got benched. He's been replaced by Christian Veo. He's a transfer from Penn State. He's a big dude. He's basically everything they thought Phil was going to be in terms of his height, his physical stature, and his throwing ability. This dude's got a big arm. Um, They're going to try to chuck it deep a little bit. He's connected on three deep passes so far this season, including two for touchdowns. His weakness is throwing against the Blitz. Uh, According to PFF, Uh, He is 6 of 21 with two interceptions when throwing under pressure. So I expect Notre Dame to try to get after him a little bit and then trust their cornerbacks in the outside to hold up with these pit wide receivers. I mentioned Sebo Flemister, sixth-year senior. He's their leading rusher. As you know from watching him at Notre Dame, he's a really tough, hard-nosed runner, but he's de- he definitely doesn't have like breakaway speed or anything like that. He's averaging just over four yards per carry. He's going to split carries with Rodney Hammond Jr. Uh, their carry distribution is, is pretty similar, although Sebo has been coming on a little bit more as of late. Uh, Rodney Hammond is a little bit shorter than Sebo, but he has a similar running tape. Similar running type, excuse me, uh, loves to run it in between the tackles, seeks out contact, and isn't really going to break away uh, on any of those plays. So, as I said, Pitt likes to try to hit you over the top with their wide receivers, and they've got some decent ones on the outside. No one close to Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff Award winner a few years ago when he was still with Pitt before he transferred to USC. 
Number nine, Kanata Mumpfield is their leading receiver. He has 30 receptions, 347 yards, and three touchdowns this year. But number zero, Bub Means, he's a pretty good player as well, even though the stats might not back it up so far this season. He has 10 less catches. He has 20 for over 300 yards, and he's been around for a long time. This is actually his third school, but he's got pretty impressive athleticism, and they really like to throw it deep to him. Um, Although, admittedly, he hasn't had a ton of success converting on those deep shots, uh, but he did have a 50-yard touchdown in their win against Louisville, so keep an eye out for him. Their offensive line has been a mess, really, all season long. They they got dealt a bad hand. They lost their starting left tackle early on in the season to a season-ending injury, and they've been experimenting with different combinations ever since then. None of them have really worked. Um, They tried throwing in a true freshman at guard at certain points. He got benched. As a unit, they've given up 40 tackles for loss for negative 186 yards. They've also allowed 14 sacks. Both rank outside the top 65 nationally. And they rarely have that much success on first and second down due in large part to their offensive line. So they're put in difficult situations on third down, and that's a big reason why they only convert 37% of the time. That's 90th in the entire country. But if there's one thing they're good at, it's their red zone offense. They've actually been able to score on 94% of their trips to the red zone, which is 14th in the country. But the problem for them is they don't really get to the red zone very often. They try to hit you with some explosive plays. They really aren't built to sustain long scoring drives throughout the game. So if Notre Dame is able to contain that running attack and, and limit the explosive plays on the outside, I feel like their defense is going to be a good, uh, going to be in a good position in this one. Now let's take a look at the pit defense. And I'll give Pat Narduzzi credit. Even though they're 2-5, and five, any Pat Narduzzi team is going to have a solid defense, and uh, this team is no different. Narduzzi loves to blitz, and he always has physical corners. Some might say too physical, like the refs did in that uh, Notre Dame-Michigan State game in 2013 when Notre Dame's entire offense was basically just getting pass interference penalties called on the defense back when Narduzzi uh, was the defensive coordinator for Michigan State. And it is so crazy to think that Michigan State team would go on to finish 13-1 and with a win in the Rose Bowl, and their one loss that season was to a Tommy Reese-led Notre Dame team. Crazy times. But back to this Pittsburgh team. They're giving up 24.6 points per game, which is coincidentally how much their offense is averaging per game, and uh, both are middle of the pack nationally. However, they are really good at stopping the run, which isn't really that surprising because Narduzzi loves to stack the box and stop the run. Um, And basically, he leaves his corners out there one-on-one with the wide receivers. So that's definitely a way that Notre Dame could beat them. But considering how much Pitt stacks the box and the talent they have in their front seven, they are only allowing 3.2 yards per rush. That is 21st in the country. They've also registered 52 tackles for loss, which ranks 15th nationally. And they've been able to get home when they bring pressure. They have 22 sacks on the season, which is good for 12th in the country. But when they don't get home... They've been susceptible to the big pass play. They're actually allowing 7.7 yards per attempt, which is 97th the country, and they're 98th in pass efficiency defense. So they like to be aggressive. They like to create havoc plays. Um, they actually kind of remind me of like a better, more disciplined version of USC, and at least in Pittsburgh's case, they usually are in the right defensive structure, whereas if you watch a USC game, like that game against Utah, you're like, wait, why is USC running with, five to maybe even six guys in the box when uh, Utah is in the wildcat and their quarterback can't even throw to begin with. Why are they doing that? I don't know. Good question for Alex Grinch. Anyway, for Pitt, they like to be very aggressive as well, and they try to force the quarterback into making some mistakes, but they're definitely susceptible to getting beat over the top. The thing is, if you can get the ball into the red zone on this team, you're probably going to score. 
Pitt is outside the top 100 in red zone touchdown percentage. Some players to keep an eye out for. Number three, Donovan McMillan. He's a transfer from Florida. He's their leading tackler with 57 total tackles. Jason McIntyre is another good defensive back. He's got four pass breakups on the year and is second on the team in tackles. I mentioned Shane Simon, Notre Dame transfer linebacker. He's got five tackles for loss on the year. Solomon DeShields is another solid linebacker, although I'm not sure he's going to play against Notre Dame. He suffered a concussion in their last game against Wake Forest, which, by the way, if you didn't see that ending, go check it out because Pitt had every opportunity in the world to win this game. Their quarterback thought he ran for the first down uh, and would have sealed the game, but he actually gave himself up, according to the refs, a little bit short of the first down marker. They punt, and then Wake Forest ends up driving down the field and scoring a game-winning touchdowns with under 20 seconds remaining. So I don't know how enthused Pitt is going to be coming off of that. But anyway, DeShields got hurt in that game, and his status for this game is uncertain, at least right now uh, at the time of this recording. But if he does play, he's definitely someone to keep an eye out for because he has six and a half tackles for loss in the season and a couple sacks. So he's a good player. Their defensive line is uh, pretty impressive. Dayon Hayes is probably the best player on their entire defense. He's a potential NFL draft prospect. He's an edge rusher, has two sacks this year already. He had three and a half sacks last season. He's also racked up five and a half TFLs, and he could be a problem off the edge. He's definitely going to be someone that Notre Dame's tackles have to keep an eye out for all game long. And if Pitt decides to bring him into the interior a little bit like what Louisville was doing when they'd bring their best pass rusher, Gelati, inside and attack Notre Dame's interior uh, offensive lineman. They struggled against Louisville when they did that. I would not be surprised if Pitt did more of the same in this one. So this is going to be a tough test for Notre Dame's struggling offense. Um, Yards aren't going to come easy, and they're going to have to connect on a few deep shots to take advantage of their aggressive style. As for Pitt's special teams, um, their kicker, Ben Sauls, is really solid. He's 6 of 9 on field goals this year. Nice. But two of those misses came from beyond 50 yards. He's 6 of 7 from inside the 50, which is pretty solid. And he was even better last season. He finished 20 of 24, including 8 of 9 from 40 to the 49-yard range. So he's got a big leg. He's also their kickoff guy. He's good at that as well. They have a pretty decent return man in uh, wide receiver Kenny Johnson. He actually took a kickoff back to the house against North Carolina. And he kind of made that a game there for a little bit because Pitt couldn't do anything on offense in North North Carolina was starting to run away with it, and then Kenny Johnson takes this kickoff return to the house, and you're like, oh, maybe they're in it. Not really. They ended up losing that game. Um, another thing to keep an eye out for is that they're pretty aggressive in trying to block punts. They've already blocked a couple this season. Notre Dame has had a couple of close calls with their punt game, so definitely something to watch for. Pitt's going to be trying to do anything they can to get a big play, an explosive play, something that could you know, flip the field or turn this game on its head. So Notre Dame special teams is going to have to be on its A game in this one going up against Pitt. So that's the scouting report on the Panthers. Coming up next, we'll wrap things up with my keys to the game and some predictions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebay.com slash motors. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's take a look at my keys to the game for Notre Dame's offense. I think the most important thing, especially early on in the game, is that they need to get the passing game going. They have Sam Hartman. 
They don't have him for much longer. And frankly, over the last few games, they have not utilized him to the best of his abilities. Some of that is on Sam Hartman for bad play, especially in that game against Louisville, but a lot of it is scheme and the limitations outside at wide receiver. The good news is that Notre Dame is expected to have Jane Greathouse and Jane Thomas back this Saturday. Earlier this week in Marcus Freeman's press conference, he said that they are, quote, close to 100%, end quote, heading into Saturday. I frankly don't know what that means um, or how close to 100% they really are because Marcus Freeman has been pretty coy about injuries since he took over as the head coach, and I get that. All coaches are a little bit secretive, especially, you know, when you got coaches out there like Michigan who will stop at nothing to gain an edge. But this is huge news for the Notre Dame offense because in the five games when both Jane Greathouse and Jane Thomas were healthy, Sam Hartman completed 70% of his passes for 247 yards per game with 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions. In the three games since the Ohio State game, while both receivers have been limited or haven't played at all, Hartman has completed 56% of his passes for 200 yards per game with four touchdowns and three interceptions. Obviously, there's some other factors to consider here. Um, Duke had a great defense, and you know they were on the road, but clearly their absence has been significant and has been felt throughout the Notre Dame offense. Pittsburgh is going to stack the box to stop the run, and they're going to blitz the quarterback. They're going to try to force Hartman into some mistakes. The last time that Pitt saw Sam Hartman was in the ACC championship game in 2021, and Sam Hartman threw four interceptions in that game. So Pitt sees Sam Hartman, and they see interceptions. It's kind of like what Louisville saw and NC State saw. Sam Hartman was able to exercise those demons against NC State, not so much against Louisville. He's got another opportunity on Saturday to do it again against a Pitt team that knocked him out in one of the biggest games of his career. So Pitt is going to leave their secondary in man coverage against Notre Dame's wide receivers. And frankly, I don't blame them, especially considering what we've seen from that unit over the last few games. Notre Dame's wide receivers are going to have to generate some separation. They're going to have to do it early on in the routes because I think Sam Hartman is going to be under a bit of pressure, even if the line is able to hold up decently well. I think sometimes it's just going to be a numbers disadvantage. So if Notre Dame can do that, then they can get the offense going, and I think that'll set up the running game because Marcus Freeman said that they're going to have to run into some loaded boxes. As we've seen so far this season, when Notre Dame runs into the loaded boxes, it doesn't really work out for them. So if Notre Dame is able to throw the ball downfield a little bit, Pitt is going to be forced to adjust. That'll mean lighter boxes. And then I think you can give the rock to Audric Estimate and sort of wear down that Pitt defense as the game goes on. Then you've got the obvious keys to the game whenever you're playing an inferior opponent, like don't turn the ball over, don't get into third and long situations because Notre Dame's offense has not been very successful on third and long. And the one thing that Pitt's offense can do against this Notre Dame defense is probably score if they have great field positions. So I feel like Notre Dame really, really has to get the uh, the passing game going a little bit. They need to connect on a few deep shots, and I'm not saying that they need to just light it up against this team because I think this this Pittsburgh defense is too good for that, but they need to be able to make some plays down the field in their passing game. Defensively, I think it's basically the inverse of what I just said. Notre Dame's defense cannot give up any explosive passing plays because Narduzzi's an old coach, old school coach, excuse me. He's stubborn. He wants to run the ball. I mean, this is the same guy who publicly scolded his offensive coordinator for passing too much when he had Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. Narduzzi was mad at his offensive coordinator for using two of arguably the most talented players to come through Pitt ever uh, on offense. I mean, I'm not saying the two most. I know they had other ones like Tony Dorsett. 
stay out of the comments. But you see my point. He was mad that they passed too much when they had a future NFL quarterback and the Blitnikoff Award winner at wide receiver. So he's going to try to run the ball. And considering who Pitt has at running back, I'm just not really that concerned about Sebo Flemister breaking off explosive run plays. Never really did that at Notre Dame. Hasn't really done that at Pitt. I don't think he's going to do it on Saturday. But they're going to try to take some deep, deep shots on the outside, even though Notre Dame has two outstanding cornerbacks. So if Notre Dame can limit those, then I think they'll be just fine. According to Jamie Uyama from iSports Daily, Notre Dame is tied for 13th in the country in explosive pass plays allowed. They only give up 2.13 per game. They have played much better wide receivers than what Pitt has, although Pitt has some decent talent there on the outside, and Notre Dame cannot creep up too much to stop the run. They need to stay disciplined on the outside and prevent those big plays. But that leads me to my predictions. And I think we're going to see Phil Dracovic in this game. I'm not, inter- I'm not entirely sure what the situation is going to be, um, but I could see Phil coming in as like a wildcat quarterback to make a play. Uh, if he comes in at quarterback, that'd be kind of surprising because he's third string right now. So if he's coming in, he's probably coming in to run or maybe do a jump pass or something like that. But I just have a hunch that Pat Narduzzi is going to give him a shot to make a play against his former team because he knows how much it means to him. And if he does come in, my guess is that he'll walk onto the field to a chorus of boos from the home crowd, as he should. Just don't let that play be a success. Notre Dame defense, please, I'm begging you. We absolutely cannot have that. We all might be subjected to more just brutal Instagram posts. Anyway, as for Notre Dame, I think it's a safe bet to, to bet on a big play from Chris Tyree. He's basically been the most consistent deep ball threat for the Irish this year, which is crazy. I never would have guessed that would be the case going into the season. And I think he's going to have some more opportunities in this one because Notre Dame has not had much success with their outside receivers. Maybe that changes with Thomas in the mix on Saturday. But Tyree uh, has been able to catch a few deep passes this year, none bigger than that deep post he caught against USC. That was huge for Notre Dame. And I think if Pitt's going to put all their focus on the on the outside receivers, then Chris Tyree could get a safety lined up on him, just like he did against USC, and he could score on that one. So as for Notre Dame's ground attack, I think it's going to take a while to get things going, but eventually, Audrey Gassime is going to be able to wear on them. Maybe we see a little bit more from Jeremiah Love, Jadarian Price. They find some lanes in the running game because Notre Dame has proven that they can run the ball on good defenses. They had a, a lot of success running against Ohio State. I don't know what's happened since that game, but... I don't really expect them to just completely flip a switch here and run all over this pit defense. They are just too good at stopping the run. Defensively, I'm calling a Cam Hart interception. Um, I made a point earlier this week that teams simply aren't throwing at Hart because he's been locking up his man, but I think Pitt is going to try Cam Hart a couple times deep. It's going to be a mistake. Cam Hart deserves a pick because of how well he's played so far this season. He hasn't had one yet. I think he gets one on Saturday. For my score prediction, I'm taking Notre Dame 27-7. to I do think the offense is going to look better coming off the bye week, but they still got a long way to go. And Pitt has too good of a defense for me to expect that this is just going to be a get-right game for the Notre Dame offense. But defensively, I'm not worried in this one. I think Notre Dame has the advantage at every single level when they're out in the field on defense. So outside of maybe a good drive or a couple good drives by Pitt, I expect Notre Dame's defense to be in control on that side of the ball throughout. So I'm taking Pitt to cover by half a point. Again, the spread right now is 20 and a half. That is subject to change by Saturday. And I'm taking the under in this one. These games are just always ugly, especially when they're at Notre Dame Stadium. I mean, think back in 2018 when Notre Dame finished that regular season undefeated. They beat Pitt 19 to 14, and they needed a game-winning touchdown by Miles Boykin that I referenced in the open. Then there was 2012. That game was pure insanity. 
triple overtime. Notre Dame was actively trying to lose that game and somehow pulled out a win uh, on their way to another undefeated regular season. Notre Dame won 23-17 to in 2010. And then I was actually at that four-overtime game in 2008 when neither team could score a touchdown in overtime. I remember Jimmy Clausen missed Michael Floyd wide open for what would have been the game-winning touchdown. And then they were just trading field goals. And finally, Notre Dame missed. Pitt made it. They win the game. That was uh, actually my sister's second Notre Dame game. And I believe she was nine years old at the time. And I'm honestly surprised she ever went to another Notre Dame game after that because she was being a great sport. It was a really long game. And then finally, after the third overtime, it broke her. And she started having a meltdown in the crowd. She's like, and then they're going to kick another field goal. And then they're going to kick a field goal. And this game's never going to end. And uh, for a second there, I thought she was right. But it did end because Notre Dame did end up losing that game. So shout out to her for ever wanting to go to another Notre Dame game after that because I don't know if I would have been able to do this, do the same. So things get weird in Notre Dame Stadium when they play Pitt for whatever reason. I'm expecting another weird one on Saturday. But that is going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. Right now, the plan is to have another guest on the show tomorrow. He is a Notre Dame alum who used to be a draft analyst at PFF. Now he's got a new show here at the Lockdown Podcast Network, so I'm really excited about that one. Make sure you tune into that. Best way to stay up to date on everything we're doing here on the podcast is to just hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast. You can also follow the show on Twitter, slash X, at Lockdown Irish, on Instagram at Lockdown Irish Pod, and my personal Twitter is at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. Same time, same place tomorrow. I'll see you then.